Amen, amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. It's good to be with you today. As Johnny said, my name is Travis, pastor here, and it's good to be worshiping with each of you this morning. If it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are excited that you're here as our guest, and we would love a chance to reach out, follow up, and let you know how much we appreciate your visit. So if you do me a huge favor, stop by the table out here as you go out. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today. And then also, if you just could take a minute, fill out one of those welcome cards, those come to me. And again, it just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. And uh, church, we're, we're going to continue on in our summer sermon series that we've been doing called Habits of Grace, where we're exploring this idea of what theologians for centuries have called spiritual disciplines. And the reason we're calling it Habits of Grace is because that's exactly what they're meant to be. They are, they are gifts to us. I think sometimes we can just kind of look at these spiritual disciplines as, oh, I, I have to do these things, or I'm just, I'm obligated to go and read my Bible and pray, and I better do this in order for God to love me or, or to be a good Christian and to get that, that gold star or whatever it is. But, but we know that that's not, that's not really what spiritual disciplines are. They are gifts that God has given us to, to draw close to him, to increase our faith and our love and our knowledge of him, which is if we are believers, right, we, we should want that. We should want to be close to Jesus. We should want to spend more time in his presence. We should want to draw close to him and grow with him and, and, and be more like him, right? Well, the way we do that is, is through these means of grace, these avenues of grace that we are to, to make a, a part of our lives, a habit of our lives. So we're going to continue that Today, and, and if it is uh, a little warm in here as it has been at church, that, that's not the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it might be, might be, I don't really know. But, but that's because the AC is broken in the gym and, and the school system thought they fixed it going into this week. Well, found out this morning about an hour ago that, nope, sorry, it's just some major error that they're gonna have to figure out uh, that's not gonna be resolved today. So there's a fan, if, you, if you're feeling a little warm, just feel free to migrate closer to where the fan is if you need to do that. Um, but that's why it might be a, a little warm in here. So uh, get comfortable uh, as, as, as much as you can, right? So anyways, we're going to continue on, like I said, in our Habits of Grace series. And uh, to kind of get us started, I'll tell you this. We, I've told you guys, we, we recently moved, my wife and, I, and family, we recently moved. And uh, one of the things that we, we really love about our, our house that we're in some that the, the previous owners did, they, they spent a lot of money investing in this, this back patio covered, uh, screened in kind of back porch area. And, and we love that area. It's great. It's beautiful. They had some nice woodwork in there, a nice like fan and light. And it's just really comfortable. It's always shade. It's just a great place to hang out. I mean, our kids even love hanging out. It's where we do like our morning Bible study after breakfast. We go on the back, back porch and, and hang out there and, and do it on the back porch. And even yesterday, uh, you know, when you move, you just, you, as you're going through boxes, you just like pile up all these cardboard boxes. So we've got a bunch of boxes and our kids uh, found some boxes that like they could fit in. And, and they were just like, dad, bring some boxes to the back porch. We're going to play in them. I was like, okay, sounds good. So we brought some boxes back there. They're playing them for hours yesterday. The way I, I cut those boxes open, you can still close the lid. So, you know, we just closed them inside and, you know, it's, oh, I cut a hole for air. So they're fine. They liked it, y'all. It was fine. I'm just kidding. They, they closed themselves in there. But anyways, they were just playing out there. Like we love the back porch, but one of the things that has been uh, interesting, I'll say, is uh, the back porch has attracted carpenter bees. Carpenter bees, like they're just all over. They're all over. And we noticed this once we moved in, like there's a million holes. I don't know if you know anything about carpenter bees, but what they do is they, they chew these like perfectly round holes 
in wood and they just burrow in there and they make these, this huge tunnel system, they lay their eggs, like that just becomes their home. So we've realized, I mean, we've just got a lot of carpenter bees. There's a lot of holes. We've contacted people about it. They're like, oh yeah, carpenter bees aren't active anymore. I'm like, no, 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 they are. I don't know if they just like, if our house is just like some special environment where they can live longer than other places, but no, they are very much still active here. Maybe they just, word got out, they're like, hey, we're going to leave this place and go chew up this back patio because that's where we want to go. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but they just love our back patio. So I found out, okay, we got to spray the area with chemicals, which is basically our entire back porch and back patio. So I did that, and then they're like two days later, just patch up the holes with like wood putty or something like that. So I did that. Last Saturday, when it was like a million degrees outside, I, I mowed the lawn, and then I spent the next several hours patching all of these holes, which again, like it's this entire back patio. I had to get my huge, big, heavy ladder out, moving that every few feet to patch all of these holes. And I got done, and man, y'all, I was, I was wiped. Like, I just crashed. I was like laying on the ground. Kendra probably thought I'm gonna have to call 911. I was just, I was done, y'all. I was so worn out. I was so tired. But I was like, ah, oh, it's done. And then an hour later, something coming out of one of the holes I patched, out pops a bee. I was like, are you kidding me? And then another one and another one. And slowly this week, I have noticed all of those holes that I spent time patching, a lot of them are back to being open and the bees are still very much alive and active. Again, like if there's an exception to the rule, if it's like this is rare and unusual, it's going to happen to my family. Like that's just the way things are with us. That's just how it goes. And it's no different with these bees. But it was, it was frustrating. I was frustrating to spend all of that time doing what I thought was going to resolve an issue only to feel like I've got to start all over again. And I think sometimes, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that can be our mindset with what we're going to talk about today, is that we can spend a lot of time doing something to see very little, no progress, or just feel like we're doing the same thing week in and week out. And so our topic for today is serving, serving. And remember what we talked about last week, I said, you know, we, we've spent some time covering these more personal spiritual disciplines that we do one-on-one -on -one in our time with the Lord, whether it's Bible reading or prayer or meditation, fasting. And now we're transitioning into more of these corporate disciplines, things that we as the church are supposed to do with and for one another inside and outside the church. So we're continuing that today by talking about serving. What does it look like for us to serve one another in this idea of spiritual discipline? So that's where we're going today. And like I said, I think sometimes when we, when we approach serving, because it is work, right? When we serve one another, we're giving of our time, we're giving of our resources. And it feels like, you know, we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, you served on this week-long mission trip and like that's, that's always awesome. And you come back with all these stories and how God moved and work. And that's just like, oh, that was so cool. I'm talking about more the the, the grind of serving sometimes, right? Because it can feel like, man, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, and yeah, just, just like last week, we had to set things up and put it back. Guess what? This week we had to do that. And guess what? Next week, we're gonna have to do that again, y'all. Like that's, that's what we have to do week in and week out. So it can feel like a grind. And it can feel like, man, what, what are we doing? I just feel like I'm kind of wasting time sometimes. So I think we, sometimes we just, we just need a mindset shift because there, there is so much that the Lord does in our serving, in, in the work that we put in to care for and be with one another and help one another out. So sometimes I think we just need a, a little bit of mindset shift because there's so much joy and there's so much that the Lord does 
in these moments of serving one another. So that's where we're going today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be uh, launching out from today. If you, if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verse right here behind me. We also have Bibles on our table. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those as our gift to you. But, but 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. So as you're turning there, as you're getting there, there's some background on 1 Peter. Peter, the Apostle Peter, yes, that Peter is the one who wrote this letter, and he's writing to believers who are scattered across modern-day Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And these believers that he's writing to are facing persecution. And if you remember last week, if you are here last week, we we talked about worship, and, and we used a passage from from the book of Revelation. And, and we said that, that Revelation was a letter written to churches in Asia Minor, in modern day Turkey, and they're facing persecution. It was no different during the time that Peter wrote this letter, some 20 years or so before John wrote Revelation. So it's the same deal. They're, they're facing persecution. They're living in a culture that is completely against Christianity and finding new ways to persecute and drive out Christians, and and here Peter is writing to these believers facing persecution, facing people who are are just against them in every way, shape, and form, and he writes to encourage them and, and to call them to continual faithful obedience to the Lord, even in a sin compromised culture. So that's where we, we, when we come to 1 Peter, that's the background that we need to keep in mind. And this is what Peter writes in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so if you were to read the the previous verses, what you'll see is Peter starts out chapter 4 by calling his audience to to not continue living like the pagans, like the non-believers. You know, stop living in sin, stop pursuing sin, don't don't go back to how you used to live. And now in verse 7, he's saying, instead of living in sin and chasing after sin, do these things. And this is a common pattern that we see throughout the New Testament, especially With Paul, Paul often does this where he says, hey, remember your former way of living. Remember how you used to do these things. Don't do that anymore. Don't go back to that. Instead, follow Jesus. And here's what living for Jesus looks like. So Peter's doing the same thing here. And right here, he he calls his audience, his readers, again, who are living in a sin-compromised culture, facing persecution, here's what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus in the world that you're in. Do these four things, all right? Pay attention to these four things. Here's what I want you to do. So this is what Peter's doing. And here's his advice on how to live. He starts out and says, be sober-minded and alert for prayer. So that, that word alert means clear-headed. It means being able to, to think clearly, to make sound decisions and have sound judgment. That's what he, he means by alert. And he says, be alert and sober-minded. Sober-minded, another way to translate that word would be self-control. So be clear-headed, be able to make sound decisions and, and have self-control. And he says, you, you need to have those two things for prayer. And that, that, that's important for us. We're not going to camp out there. But basically what he's saying is, is when we're alert, when we're clear-headed, when we have self-control, 
we're able to focus on prayer, we're able to pursue prayer, we're able to incorporate prayer and more of it into our lives. So we need that for prayer and we need prayer in order to live for Jesus, right? Like, and we're very similar in our culture, right? We are in a culture that is set against Jesus, against Christianity, against following him. And persecution, I think, in the coming years is only going to ramp up even more. Like, we need this advice more than ever, right? So we, we need prayer. If we're going to live for Jesus in our current culture and continue that, we need prayer. And in order to have prayer and be focused in prayer and diligent in prayer, we need to be alert and sober-minded. So that's the first thing Peter says. And then he says that we are to maintain constant love for one another. So that word maintain could just be keep on, basically. So keep on loving one another. Keep on loving one another. And then it's not just to keep on loving, but to have constant love. Keep on having constant love. It's kind of like he's repeating himself, and he's doing that to drive home a point. But that word for constant could also be translated deep. Keep on having deep, committed love for one another. It's also a word that, that, that can mean stretched or extended or, or covered over things. And what does our love cover? Sin. Our love covers one another's sin. That doesn't mean that our love forgives each other's sin in the terms of, of salvific forgiveness and, and atonement and what Jesus does for us. No, what, what Peter assumes here, like the rest of the New Testament and the rest of Scripture, is that when we are in relationship with one another, when we are in community with one another, guess what's going to happen? We're going to sin. We're going to struggle with sin. We are going to sin against one another. We're going to make each other frustrated. We're going to make each other angry. We're going to hurt each other's feelings, intentionally or unintentionally, right? It's going to happen. And what does Peter call us to? In those moments, in that moment where, where we're frustrated and angry with one another, what are we supposed to do? Keep on loving. Our love can stretch and, and cover over our sins, right? So that's what we're to do. We are to love each other despite our sinful tendencies, right? So that's what Peter's calling us to, maintain constant, deep love for each other. And then he says to be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another. That, that word for hospitable means to love the stranger, love people that you don't know. And the way you do that is by welcoming them into your home and life, right? Hospitality is not throwing dinner parties. That's not the biblical idea of hospitality. Can you do that and be hospitable? Sure, go for it. By all means, throw dinner parties. It's awesome. Great fun, right? If that's what you want to do, that's your gifting, go for it. But, but at the base level, hospi being hospitable according to scripture means welcoming people into your home and your life. And here's how this would play out in the first century, right? It wasn't like when you were traveling in the first century, it wasn't like today, right? You didn't have Airbnb or VRBO or, or whatever, any number of, of websites that you could book a hotel and flight and everything. And you know exactly where you're going, when you're going. You even have a picture of what your hotel room or room or the house or whatever is going to look like. You know exactly what to expect, right? At least to some degree. That wasn't like that in the first century. They didn't have those kind of resources. And, and traveling was a great risk. Man, you were traveling in a new place. It was just easy for you to be taken advantage of, for people to come in and steal your stuff, beat you up, leave you for dead, whatever it is. Like you opened yourself up and were completely vulnerable when traveling. So part of the way the church could love each other, love people within the church, other believers, and the community at large, was allowing people a safe place to come in and stay a safe home to come into where, hey, I, I, I heard you were coming through town. Come stay at my place, man. We got you covered. Come stay here. That's being hospitable. And we are called to be hospitable to one another and the world around us. And then the last thing he says, the last thing, this is where we're going to camp out today, is serve one another. 
We're to serve one another. We're to be alert. We're to maintain love. We're to be hospitable. And we are to serve one another. This is one of the ways that we live for Jesus in the current world that we find ourselves. We are to serve one another. That word for, for serve comes from the same word that we get the word deacon from. Same word. It means to, to serve. It means to minister to. Basically, at its base level, it means to just meet the needs of other people. Meet the needs of one another. Tangibly meet one another's needs. Not just talk about it. Not just say, I'm going to pray for you and then not. No, like actually meet each other's needs. That's what it means to serve. And this is what Peter calls us to. So like I said, this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. So there's, there's four things that we learn about serving from this passage. If you're taking notes, write these down. Four things we learn about serving from this passage. First off, we are commanded to serve. We are commanded to serve. These, these four things that Peter tells his audience and, and by extension us today, they're not suggestions, right? Peter's not writing in terms of like, hey, if you have time, maybe think about being hospitable. Hey, if it, if, you know, if it conveniences you, you really should love each other. I know it's difficult. I know that person frustrates you. I know you don't really like them that much. Maybe think about loving them. You know, it's up to you. Your call. Take it or leave it, but, but consider that. No, he's not writing these as like suggestions. No, these are, these are meant to be understood as commands for believers to walk in obedience to. So if we are believers, this is how we are to live our lives. We are to love. We are to be hospitable. We are to be alert and self-controlled. We are to serve. We're to serve. But just like with the other disciplines, right? We can just, you know, close, done deal. We just close it up there. You're commanded to serve, so just go and do it, right? Like that could be what we take away. But if we, if we do things out of obligation or just feeling like, oh, well, I better do this or else, or, you know, Travis said I have to, so I, I guess I will, or, you know, Jesus commands it, so I might as well do it. Like, if we just do it out of this just mere obligation to obey a command, that's not going to get us very far. We're going to get frustrated, we're going to get disappointed, or whatever, like, we're going to eventually not do that. So just like with every other spiritual discipline that we've been talking about, are they commands? Yes. Is there more than just rote obedience to these commands? Yes. God is doing something in our serving just like he's doing something in our Bible reading and in our prayer and in our worship and in any other thing that we could talk about with this. There's more to it than just obeying a command. So with serving, why do we serve? First and foremost, we serve because, because Jesus first served us. That's why we serve. We serve because Jesus serves us. That's why we obey this command is because Jesus set the example for us. Look, look at these verses. Look at these verses. Mark 10, 42 and 45, Jesus says this. Jesus called them over and said to them, he's talking to his disciples here. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. And look, if anybody deserved to be served on this earth, it's God himself. 
It's God in the flesh, right? It's the second person of the Trinity come down from heaven. Who, who should be served here? It's Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And this is the example that we're called to. This is what we as believers are invited into of following Jesus in his ways and in the pattern that he gave us. Serving, it's a big part of that. So Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Look at this, Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So we see here what what Jesus did for us and what, what does verse five say? Adopt the same attitude. Be like Jesus who did this, who saw the glory and the riches of heaven and said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna leave that so that I can come to earth and lovingly give my life for my people. That's what Jesus did. He serves us in the most ultimate way and he calls us to walk in that same example. John 13, 12 through 15. And John 13 comes uh, on the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples. The last supper, John 13 is a part of that time, right before he would go to the garden of Gethsemane and eventually be arrested and, and tried and put to death on a cross that Friday. So this Thursday night, he's having his last dinner with his disciples, celebrating the Passover. And part of that time, he washes his disciples' feet, right? If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard that story. Well, that comes in John 13. And this is what Jesus says after he washes his disciples' feet. John 13, 12 through 15. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You have called me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So again, Jesus sets forth an example of serving. And washing feet, it was one of the lowest forms of servanthood at this time, right? I mean, just imagine, like there's just open-toed sandals everywhere, right? You didn't have Nikes to put on or anything like that. Like just open-toed sandals, walking around on dirty streets all day long. Just just think about that and washing somebody's feet, all right? Just gross, right? Just nasty, don't get that near me. I don't want any part of that. Like nobody was like, ooh, I'll, I'll be the feet washer today. Yeah, sign me up for that job. First in line, got it, ha ha, I'm best, right? No, nobody was signing up for that. Nobody wanted that job. So it's a, it's a mark of humility and servanthood for Jesus to do this for his disciples. Why does he do it? He does it to set an example. And should we be washing each other's feet? I don't, I don't know, maybe. I think the point here is that we are to humble ourselves to meet one another's need, even if it's not the most ideal situation, even if it's not exactly what we would want to do, this is what it looks like to serve. So Jesus says, follow in my example. So we serve because Jesus first serves us. This is part of how we walk in obedience to him as believers. Right, and that, that's, that's what we want. If you're a believer and you say, yes, Travis, I put my faith in Jesus, then we should want to be like Jesus. We should want to follow him. And this is part of how we do that. It's by serving. 
And quickly, there's two things that we learn about serving from Jesus with these examples. One is true service comes from humility. True service comes from humility. Jesus humbles himself, right? As Philippians 2 tells us, he leaves heaven to come to earth, right? And it's not like he lived this lavish lifestyle, right? Jesus said often that he has no place to lay his head, right? Jesus did not live a, a rich, lavish lifestyle while he was here on earth. It was a very lowly, humble lifestyle, a very poor lifestyle. So Jesus comes here, he, he leaves the glory and the riches of heaven to live a, a meager lifestyle here where he is constantly just giving himself to others, right? Constantly doing things, preaching and teaching and healing and, and every, like he's just constantly doing stuff for people. And then he gives his life on the cross in this ultimate act of humility and servanthood, gives his life for us. That's what Jesus does for us. We're to do the same. And it starts with humility. It starts with actually seeing others as more valuable and more important than us. As Philippians says, more, more looking to others' interests rather than our own. Saying, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put somebody else first and not just look out for me. And that is countercultural, right? Like that is just against everything our culture teaches us. It's always look out for you, look out for number one, do what's best for you, don't worry about anybody else, get ahead by any means necessary, right? Like that's what we're taught as a culture. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to do the opposite of that. That's what humility looks like. And if we're gonna truly serve one another, it's gotta come from a place of humility. Because look, if, if it doesn't, we can serve without humility. And what that looks like is, is self-righteous serving. Self-righteous serving, where we're putting ourselves first from this self-centered mindset, even though we're serving. And here's how we can do that. Here's how we can do that. One of the ways is we, we do it by looking for recognition for our serving or looking for external rewards. Like, this is why everybody who's, who's doing something nice for others, something altruistic and compassionate, posts a picture of themselves doing that on social media. We've all seen it, right? We've all seen it. Oh, let me take this picture of myself doing something. Look at these needy people. Look at this awesome organization doing stuff. And it's not to highlight, we can say, we're highlighting this organization. We're highlighting this group of people that are in need. But make sure I get in the picture. See, you see me doing it? Like, come on, y'all. That social media is just a way for us to promote ourselves. That's really what it is. Let's be honest. So we can do this from, we can serve with an, a, a desire for, for recognition for what we're doing, Right? That's self-centered. We, we can be self-centered in our serving by picking and choosing who we serve and when we serve. We'll talk about this in a second, but, but serving is not always convenient, right? It doesn't always line up with our schedule and our desires. We can be self-centered by doing a bunch of things for other people and then complaining about it, right? You, you guys have been around some of those people and they're like, oh man, I just, I just did all this stuff. Like nobody would help me. And it's like I, 10 minutes ago, I, I offered to help you and you said no, that you got it and you were cool with that and now you're upset that nobody helped you. Like, which one is it? Did you not want help or do you want help? Because it can't be both, y'all. It cannot be both, right? But we know people like that. Maybe we've even done that. Basically, self-centered serving is just making our serving all about us. Humility takes us out of the picture, right? It puts others first. So it's got to come from there. True service not only requires humility, it requires sacrifice. If we're going to truly serve the way that Jesus calls us to, it demands sacrifice. It's going to require sacrifice. And that's, that's where serving can get, can get difficult, right? Because serving is not always convenient. Serving is not always going to be glamorous. Serving is not always going to be appreciated by other people. 
Serving is not always going to show external resu results or progress in what you're trying to do. Right? Serving is not only going to be what, what I want and when I want, and it's not going to be I get to serve whoever I want. Like, that's not, that's not what serving is. Sometimes it might be. That, those things might all line up great. But it's not always going to be the case. It, usually it, it's not the case, right? Those of us that, that serve, like, we get that. It's going to require sacrifice. And this is why part of this, Peter says, when you're being hospitable, do so without complaining. Like he knows that it's going to be difficult. He knows that, that opening your home, especially to somebody you might not know, you don't know what their habits are. You don't know how clean they are. You don't know how they take care of stuff. They might just break, be breaking everything. You don't know who you're opening your house up to sometimes. Like welcoming people in can be difficult and it can lead to, man, I cannot believe we did that. Why did we let those people in? Why do we have this many people over in our house? Look at, do you see, now I got to spend two hours cleaning up. Right? So it can easily get to that point. Peter knows that. So just be hospitable without complaining. Without complaining. Look past those things and, and see what Jesus is really doing in your serving, right? So that's what he's telling us here. He knows that it's going to be hard. He knows that it's going to be inconvenient. And this is why he also says not only to do it without complaining, but to do it from the strength that God provides. And man, do we need that. Man, do we need the strength that God provides. We cannot rely on our own strength, on our own abilities. We can't do that. I mean, we can for, for a time. We can for a little bit. But if we're not looking to God's strength, and here's what I mean by that. When we look to God for strength in our serving, we're relying on him for the actual strength and, and the ability to do the things that he's called us to do, but also for the desire and the motivation. If we don't look at our serving from God's perspective and see how he's working in our lives and in the lives of those that we're serving and in the church or community or whatever it is, if we're not looking to him for motivation, I can tell you right now, you're eventually gonna get burned out, you're gonna get frustrated, you're gonna be disappointed, and you're gonna stop. You're just gonna throw in the towel. Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes serving is difficult. Sometimes it, it demands sacrifice and it's inconvenient. And it requires more time than we initially thought. But we gotta keep our perspective centered on Jesus and what he's doing and how he's at work and focus on that. That's what it means to serve and the strength that God provides. So look, serving isn't always easy. But believer, Christian in the room, this is what we're called to. Jesus invites us into this. He set the example and he calls us to walk in that. And we'll talk about you know, what he's doing in that and through that in a little bit. But we are called to serve. So second point. So we're commanded to serve. Number two, love is demonstrated through serving. Love is demonstrated through serving. Like it's not by accident or coincidence that, that Peter pairs love and serving together. There's another thing that we see frequently throughout the New Testament when, when love is talked about, serving is right there with it or serving in spiritual gifts is always connected to love in some way. Why is that? Why? It's because if our love for one another, if our love for God is genuine and real, then it's gonna show itself in our actions, right? We, we know this. If, if love is, is true and genuine, it will be demonstrated with how we live our lives. And it's demonstrated through serving. Look at, again, let's go back to John 13. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this. 
a new command. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, what's he talking about here? Because loving others and loving one another is a command that's frequent throughout the Bible. The second greatest command is love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a new command. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the way in which he shows his love. Remember, this comes right after washing the disciples' feet. Right after one of the lowliest ways that you could serve somebody, Jesus says, love one another and love one another in the way that I have loved you. In other words, he's saying, love one another by serving, by meeting each other's needs, by caring for one another. This is how you love. We know we're supposed to love. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, this is how we have come to know love. He, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. If our love is going to be genuine, it has to be more than words, right? It has to be demonstrated by our actions. And this is why Peter includes serving when he says maintain constant love and serve one another. These things are linked together. If we are going to love one another as Christ would have us love each other, we have to serve one another. We have to serve. And in this way, love is our motivation for serving. Right, if we're looking for motivation, if we're looking for, for the why, why am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to keep going? It's got to come from a place of genuine love for other people, that I truly and actually love others, therefore I'm going to serve. This is Jesus' point with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You, again, you've been in church in any length of time, you've probably heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, right before Jesus tells that parable, he's asked a question. And the question is, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What's the greatest commandment in all, all of Scripture? And Jesus turns it around and this guy says, well, what do you think it is? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your strength and all your might and, and all your mind. And, and basically, love God with everything, right? Like, that's the greatest commandment. She's like, yeah, absolutely. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy, thinking he's smart, goes, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? Basically means, what do you, who and how am I supposed to love others? Like, what does it mean to actually love my neighbor. And Jesus tells the story of the parable of Good Samaritan, which is all about this random guy, this, this Samaritan who finds this stranger beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. He sees him, is filled with compassion, and then serves this guy, meets his needs, takes care of him, bandages him up, brings him to an inn, pays for him to stay there so he can rest and get healed up. And at the end of it, Jesus says, who's the neighbor in this passage? And that smart guy with all of his questions is forced to admit the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says what? Go and do likewise. You want to know what it looks like to love your neighbor? This is what it looks like. Serving people in need, meeting the needs of one another, coming alongside somebody, even if you don't know them at all. Seeing their need and meeting their need. That's what it means to love. That's what it means to love. We have to demonstrate our love. If we actually, truthfully love other people, we will serve them. And more than that, we will, 
we will want to serve them. I mean, just think about your relationships with other people. Like, if, you know, my wife, if I do something nice for my wife, like clean up the dishes or, you know, take care of the kids and give her just some time by herself or whatever the case is, like I, I do that and she comes back and she's like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. I, that, was really, that was really nice. I appreciate you doing that. And I go, of course, it's my duty as a good husband to do that. She's going to go, thanks. I mean, that, that's still nice. Like, I, is it just your duty? Is that the only reason you did it? Just because you feel like you have to as a good husband? Like, it's going to be appreciated, but it's going to be like, do you just feel obligated to do that? But if she were to say, man, thank, thank you for doing that, babe. Like, I, thank you. That, I really appreciate that. And I was like, of course. I, I love you. I love you more than anything. Like, I want to do these things. I want to give you even more than that because, because I love you. Like, that's going to make her actually feel loved and appreciated rather than just, well, of course, it's my duty as a good husband to do these things right? Like, none of us want that answer. We, we want to be, want to love, want to serve, right? Like, that's what it means to truly love and serve out of love. All right, so number three. So we, we have, we're commanded to serve. Love is demonstrated through serving. Number three, we are gifted to serve. We are gifted to serve. Look again at verses 10 through 11 here. Peter writes, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as the one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. So what's going on here? So Peter tells us that, that we are gifted to serve. So Peter is touching on this idea that, again, is spoken of throughout the New Testament, this idea of, of spiritual gifts. And, you know, we've probably all heard some language about spiritual gifts. It's talked about throughout our New Testament in places like, like this passage and Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. These are just some of the places that speak about spiritual gifts. So how do, how do spiritual gifts and, and serving connect? Well, what's, what's going on here? Well, when you study these passages and you look into spiritual gifts, you learn a few different things. So one, we learn when we look at spiritual gifts, just as Peter tells us here, we, we learn that every believer is given a spiritual gift. So G Peter says here, just as each one has received a gift. So if you are a believer, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift. So right away, you can know for sure, I have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is, you may not know how to use it or where to use it or when to use it or whatever, that, but, but we can know for sure that we at least have a spiritual gift. The other thing we learn is that these gifts come to us from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. Here's, here's the key verse. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he gifts believers. He gives out the spiritual gifts. He's the one who is sovereignly over the giving out of spiritual gifts. So we can know for sure that we've been given a gift. That gift has come to us from the Holy Spirit. The third thing we can learn is that that gift is meant to be used. It's meant to be used. So we know we got a gift. We know where the gift came from. And we know that we're supposed to use the gift. So look at what Romans 12 says about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, four through seven. Now, as we have many parts in one body, 
and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. And Paul continues on that topic. But, but the point that I want to make here is that we are meant to use that gift. I'm not supposed to sit on the shelf in the cupboard behind closed doors, never to be broken out, only in case. Emergency. No, that's not it. We are meant to use our spiritual gift. Now, how are we supposed to use it? When we study the spiritual gifts, the primary way we are, we are called to use our spiritual gifts is in service to one another within the local church. Every single one of these passages that talks about spiritual gifts comes at it from the place of talking to a local congregation, body of believers. So the immediate context of using our spiritual gifts is meant to be done within the local church. Peter calls us to be good stewards of our gift. A steward is just a manager, right? Somebody else owns something, gives it to you to manage, to steward, to look after, basically. You don't own it, but you're meant to use it according to the owner's preferences and ideas and desires and all that kind of stuff. We are stewards of the gift that God has given us. Which if we don't own the gift, which, and being a good steward, a good manager of that gift, we use it according to what God says and how God calls us to use that. And the primary way we are to use our spiritual gifts is serving one another in the local church. So if we're not serving, if we are not using our gifts to primarily serve within the local church, I'm just telling you, church, we are not being a good steward. We are not using our gift the way that God has designed those gifts to be used. And the last thing we learn about spiritual gifts is there are many gifts. There's many gifts. Notice I haven't pointed out specific gifts. I stopped reading 1 Corinthians 12 before Paul gets to the specific gifts of tongues and interpretation and wisdom and faith and healing and, and all, that, all, all that. Those are all great to study. We could spend an hour talking about all those if y'all wanted to. Probably not today because it's, it's hot in here and y'all are probably ready for me to be done talking, but we're not going to do that today. But we could, we could. But here's, here's my, my caution in that, is that I think sometimes we can just get so focused on those gifts or like these are the ones listed in scripture, so I have to find my gift here. Which one of these do I have? And we can take, you know, any number of spiritual gift tests. And, and to me, you know, take them with a grain of salt. I kind of look at spiritual gift tests the same way like personality tests. You can answer in specific ways to get what you want to get out of that. That's all I'm going to say about that. So just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, but these lists are not exhaustive. They're not exhaust, exhaustive. Paul writes the bulk of these places that talk about spiritual gifts. And, and when he talks about it in Romans 12, it's different than the way he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. Those, those gifts are different. He lists different things. And it's not like he was, you know, writing one and then 10 years later he writes the other and he's like, now what did I say to 1 Corinthians? What did I write in that first letter? Was it that gift? I can't remember. Do you, Luke, do you remember? Timothy, you remember what I wrote? I can't, I can't, let me, I'll just come up with a new list. That's not what happened. It, it's purposeful that, that the lists are not the same. What that's supposed to tell us is that there's a bunch of different gifts. There's a bunch of different gifts. You don't have to be you know, singled out to find one that's listed here. You might have one that's listed here. You might have one that's kind of like that to be used in different ways. I don't know. I don't know. There's many gifts. 
God gifts believers in different ways at different times for different seasons and different moments in life. So yes, prayerfully seek the Lord's wisdom on what gift you have. And, and I think the way we discern that is we look at how the Lord's wired us, right? Like he's given us different gifts and passions and talents and abilities and, and, and experiences in life. And I think he uses all of that to spiritually use us to impact one another inside the local church and, out, and beyond that too. So yes, prayerfully try to discern your gift, but, but I don't, just hear me out, like don't, don't get so focused in tunnel vision on it's gotta be one of these. It might be, it might be something else. The point is to, to use the gifts, use your experience, use your talents, use your passions, use your abilities, all of these things that make us who we are, use that to serve the Lord and serve the church. That's the point that we're to draw from this. So we are gifted to serve. We are called to serve, we're commanded to serve, we, we, we demonstrate our love through serving and we are gifted to serve one another. The last thing, and we'll end here, is serving glorifies God. Serving glorifies God. Look at how this passage ends in verse 11. Peter writes, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the, one, from, from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified in our serving. When we serve in his power, when we serve in his giftings, when we serve in the way that he leads and directs and empowers, it brings God glory. It brings God glory. How is he glorified? How is he glorified in our serving? Well, one, serving aligns us with God's character. And we've already seen this with Jesus, right? Jesus sets the example in serving. He calls us to follow that example. So when we serve, we are acting like God. We are acting according to God's character and nature and his desire. We are caring for people the way he cares for people. We're loving people the way that he loves people. Serving aligns us with God's character. Another thing about God being glorified in our serving is, is God uses our serving to impact us and those we serve. And this is where we need the mindset shift. This is where we need to, to, to shift our focus on kind of the, the external results of what we see and, and more on to what God is doing behind the scenes in our heart and, and maybe in the lives of others. Because I think when we serve, again, it can, especially that, that, that weekly, monthly grind, however often you're serving in whatever ways you're serving, whether it's here or another organization or wherever, and you're doing it a lot and you're doing it often, sometimes it can, it can be like, no, what am I doing, you know? I'm back here again, the same people, the same issues, same problem. I'm back here again, early Sunday morning, the chairs need to be set up again. Yeah, they do. Uh, they gotta be torn down, set up again. Yeah, they do. I'm here with, with these kids. I was here two weeks ago teaching them about Jesus and they were running around being all crazy. I have no idea if they're listening to me. They're probably not. Probably not even paying attention. Why am, what am I doing here? Why am I wasting my time with this? Surely there's something else. I mean, you just kind of get in this mindset of I'm not seeing the external results or the progress that I think I should see. And that, that can be discouraging. That can be discouraging. So we need to, to shift and remind ourselves that God is always at work. He's always at work in our serving. 
if you're serving in kids' ministry, can it, can it be kind of a, a grind sometimes? You, you might not see the progress. You might think that these kids are just running around being crazy or acting a fool. Surely mine are. I, mean, I had no doubt about that. But man, they're, they're listening. They're listening. I can't tell you how important and valuable the foundation that was laid in my life growing up in church sitting in Sunday school every single Sunday with the same leader being taught the same Bible stories over and over again. I can't tell you that how important that foundation to draw on as I got older and older and eventually started in ministry, how important that was. I couldn't express it then as a 7, 8, 10, 12, 14-year-old. But looking back now, I can say, oh man, I needed that. And you grow up hearing those stories and man, you just... You can go back to those. You can draw on that. It's so important, so valuable. So do you see the progress? Maybe not week to week, but I'm telling you, man, you faithfully serving and teaching those kids and discipling them is boom. Y'all give it up for Blake. Yeah. So look, you might think as you're serving and welcoming people and being just a smiling face that, oh, you know, nobody really cares. It doesn't really matter. No. It matters, I'm telling y'all. People like, that come and stay at our church and say how nice it is, it's not because, I, it not, that's not me. That's not me, y'all. That's not, they're not like, oh, the pastor's really nice, so I'm gonna stay here. No, it's the people, it's y'all being nice and welcoming. That makes an impact. You might not see it. I get those stories, right? I get to talk to those people and hear what they like and don't like about our church. And I get to hear, man, everybody was so nice. You don't always get to hear that. You're making a difference. Setting up and tearing down each week, you are providing an environment for people to come in and kids to come in and learn about Jesus and hear the gospel and and experience the Lord and worship him. You're making a difference. Leading a small group, I know that can be difficult. Welcoming people in your home. And sometimes people stay till like 10 o'clock and you're like, I wish you would just go home, I'm tired. But y'all, you're making an impact. People are building relationships. Fellowship is happening. Communion is happening. Growth is happening. Even if you can't see it, you're making an impact. Bringing a meal to somebody. When we moved, man, some of y'all bought us groceries. You provided dinner. I can't tell you how much that meant to be like, we don't have to worry about dinner tonight. How, how important and, and how big of a deal that was when you're in a stressful moving situation or any kind of like difficulty walking through a hard season where people just bring you a meal. It might not seem like much, but you are impacting and making a difference in that person's life. We might not always see the impact, but God is at work in our serving. And not just in the people around us. He's working in us too, y'all. In this way, serving is discipleship. Again, when we serve, not only are we aligned with God's character, but he's, he's working in our hearts. He's growing us in love. He's growing us in humility. We're growing in, in seeing through the eyes of the Lord, right? Serving is discipleship. If we're not serving, I'm just telling you, if you are not serving, you're missing out on a huge part of your discipleship. You're missing out on a huge way that God wants to work in your life. You're missing out. And the last way God is glorified in our serving is serving is a way that we witness to the world. We talk a lot here about evangelism having two parts, displaying the gospel and declaring the gospel. Serving is how we display the gospel so that we have a chance to declare the gospel to those that we're serving. Go back to John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, here's this new command, love one another. And what does he say? By this, everyone's gonna know that you're my disciples. 
what's the way that we witness to the world, that we tell the world about Jesus? It's through love and serving. Serving is missional. Serving is preaching the gospel. So look for opportunities. Look for ways to serve those in your life so that you can declare or you can display and then declare the gospel to those in your life. So how do we, one here, how do, how do we cultivate this as a discipline, right? So we're talking about this in terms of habit forming and, and, and these disciplines that we incorporate into our daily walk. Well, the two things that we call people to, if you're a part of Haines Creek, the two things that we invite you to do when it comes to serving is serve the church and serve the community. Serve the church and serve the community. Look, if you are not currently serving here on a Sunday, we need you. Like, just bottom line, look, we need you. Like, if that'll, if that'll do the trick, if that's just all you need to hear, praise God, we need you. But more than that, more than that, don't just serve because the pastor asked you to or, or somebody invited you. Don't just do it for that. Do it because God wants to use you to make an impact in this church, in this community, in the people, in the lives of the people here and in your life too. So, so jump in. Look, we got no shortage of, of teams that need help. Kids ministry, set up, tear down, making coffee, whatever it is. Like we have a place for you. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. I'm not, not just, you know, salesmen up here talking. No, Haynes Creek needs you and can use you. Absolutely. There is a place for you to serve here. So jump in and serve and see how the Lord impacts and use you to grow and, and minister and care for you. It's just, it's incredible. This is awesome opportunity. Step into that and then serve the community. And look, we do this as a church at large. We look for ways that we can jump in and serve the community, but, but do it on your own too. Look, how, how can you serve your neighbors? How can you serve those in your world? How can you maybe your, your small group come together and, and serve and meet the needs? We wanna look for ways, not just inside these walls to serve just the church. No, we wanna serve beyond this, right? Again, because this is a way that we can witness to the world. This is a way that we can open up opportunities to share the gospel with our community is through serving. So serve the church serve the community. This is how we're to follow Jesus in this world. It's by serving. So let's follow in our Savior's footsteps, right? He left heaven. He gave his life for ours. He loved, he served, and he invites us to do the same. So church, let's, let's do that. Let's love and serve people the way Jesus calls us to, amen? Let me pray for us, and we're gonna step into this time of worship and communion that we do every single week. And this is a time for believers in the room. So especially on a day like today, this is a great time for us to just reflect upon all that Jesus has done for us, right? We can reflect and dwell on how Jesus came and loved and served us and how we can walk in that way. So believers in the room, as I pray, I wanna just encourage you to take some time between you and the Lord, just spend some time in prayer, maybe just spend some time worshiping him for all that he's done for us. Worshiping him as a reminder of the gospel. Or maybe it's a time for you to say, Jesus, I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready, right? I've been sitting on the sidelines for a while. I'm ready to step in. Lord, give me the strength to do that. Help me obey. Help me know where to go, who to talk to, what, what that looks like. Lord, guide me. Give me the strength to walk in obedience to you. Maybe it's just a time of prayer for that. And then as you're ready, you can go to either side of the table where we take the bread, we take the cup, we eat, we drink, and we worship our good God and Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for how you've served us. Lord, as, as Romans 5, 8 says, Lord, you, you, you loved us even though we were sinners and, and the way you loved us was by giving your life for us. So just thank you for that. 
Thank you for your love, for your sacrifice, for your service to us, Lord. Would we respond to that by serving, by walking in obedience to you, Jesus. So we thank you. We love you. Lord, help us faithfully follow you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen.